I always remember hearing a story about a lady who regularly used to cook a ham. She used to boil it. And every time she got one, she would cut it into two-thirds and one-third and put it in the pot and boil it. And her kids said to her one day, why, why do you do that, mum? And she said, well, my mum always did it. And when their gran was over next time, the kids said to their gran, gran, why did you cut the ham into two pieces before you boil it? And she said, well, I didn't have a big enough saucepan. <laughs> this dear lady had been doing this religious cutting up of her ham, even though her saucepan was quite big enough. She'd been doing it because her mum did it, because that's what you do, because they always did it. And you know, we can easily get into doing things just because it's what we do, or because it's what somebody else has done. And if you're new here, if you've recently come to faith, if you're visiting, you may not know or have heard anything about why we do what we do. And if, like me, you've been around the block a few times, maybe quite a few times, then, you know, we can forget why we do what we do. We can get weary of doing what we do. We can get just into a habit. So the question we're asking this morning, as you can see, is why bother? Why bother? And it's a a good question. If we're really honest, I think it's probably a question all of us have asked at some point. I have. If you were Craig or Brian or one of the team putting out 300 chairs downstairs on a Friday or Saturday, you might have asked that question. If you were in the band, part of the kids' work or youth work, preparing all week, coming in really early on a Sunday morning before most of us are here, you might have asked that question. Let me tell you, if you're preaching, spending hours doing your best to try and get from God what God wants to say, you could well ask, why do we bother? If you're on welcome, teas and coffees, if you're the guy who unlocks before anybody comes and locks up after everybody goes, you may ask the question, why, why do we bother? Even if you're a a family with young children, and I've been there, you might get them up. You've got to get them up, get them dressed, get them fed, get them out, get them here, and why do we bother? And in an age where I can sit on my settee at home in my PJs, and I can download the best preachers in the world... And I can download the best bands in the world, singing the songs that I like best. Why do we come here? Why have you come here listening to someone who may be fantastic, but is probably not the best preacher in the world? (coughs) Why bother? Well, enough of questions. What about some answers, because I believe there are really good reasons why we should bother. And I suspect that so do you, otherwise you wouldn't be here. So let me take you through some reasons why we should bother. And the first one is this, says he. It is on. Ah, there we go. The clue is in the title. The clue's in the title. We are church. If you didn't know it, that's where you are. We are church. And our very name, church, 
actually means gathering. Did you know that? Impress your friends. I'm going to teach you a little Greek. I don't know very much. The word in the Bible that is translated church is ecclesia. And it was a word that just simply meant a gathering, not a building, a gathering of people. And it had an overtone too of that they weren't just a random gathering. They weren't just some people who saw something in the street and a crowd formed. These were people who were invited, who were called, who were meant to come together, called out ones. It occurs 114 times in the New Testament. It's an important word. And the clue is in the title. Gathering is in our DNA. That's what we are. We are the gathered people of God. And we shouldn't be surprised because, you know, God is consistent. You know, God has called his people to gather always. Right through the Old Testament and into the New In the Old Testament, God called his people to gather to worship, to repent, to fast and to feast, to celebrate, to remember, to remind each other, to give thanks, to bring offerings. He called them to gather as a nation. He called them to gather as families in towns and in cities. God's people have always gathered because he instructed them too. You know, in the Old Testament, there were seven festivals throughout the year. Seven Seven West Points. Can you imagine that? And that was in addition to the weekly Sabbath gathering. And it was clear that there was purpose to their festivals. They weren't just a a knees up or a get together. There was clear purpose. Their get togethers were communal. They were gathering of people who shared a common origin, who shared a common history. They were called to worship together, recalling their origin and their experience. These gatherings were, another big word, commemorative. They were times to be reminded of things, where they would tell and retell their God's story, the things that God has done to keep the story alive and fresh. These gatherings were deeply theological. They taught the people about God. They reminded the people of God's holiness. They reminded people of the horror and the seriousness of sin, the reality of God's judgment, and the cost of forgiveness through blood sacrifice. They reminded people of the peace that forgiveness brings, of the joy of being God's people, the need for thankfulness to God, and the importance of trusting in Him rather than in stuff. And they had one more thing. There was always an element where they looked to the future for something more. Always there was something more, something better and greater. Do you recognize those elements? They're elements of our gatherings together. We have a shared experience of salvation. Yes, all our stories are different, individual, as unique as we are. But we have come the same way through faith in Jesus. We marvel at the cost and we celebrate what Jesus has done through his life, his death and his resurrection and ascension. We rejoice and we retell our stories of what God has done and is doing. I think we need to do more of that. We practice thanksgiving and we practice giving to demonstrate that our trust is not in our money 
but in our God. We anticipate Jesus coming again and our home in heaven. These are great reasons to gather together. But you know, for the Israelites, these festivals could also become just meaningless rituals. And you can read in the prophets how they said to the people, you've, you've just, it's just become a habit, it's just become a nonsense. Are we so different to the Israelites? Can we fall into meaningless ritual? I think we can. One way of testing our attitude to the gathering is to ask another question. Is our gathering for you a priority or a pain? You know, I, have a, I like lists. I'm a big list man. I'm so big a list man that if I do something that wasn't on my list, I put it on the list and cross it off. <laughs> you can feel sorry for me or pray for me later, but that's just how it is. Cleaning my car is always on my priority list. Just never gets anywhere near the top. Only time my car gets cleaned is when it goes in for a service, the most expensive car wash you've ever come across. But you know, God wants us to make a priority of gathering. We don't gather just out of habit. We gather because we want to have good rhythms in our lives. Do you want a good example to follow? Try this guy. This is Jesus. When he came to Nazareth, where he'd been raised, he went into the synagogue as he always did. As he always did. Jesus had a rhythm and was committed to gathering. He gathered on the Sabbath. It was a priority for him. And if you don't believe in Jesus, well, if you don't believe what Jesus did was for us, so did the disciples. Paul and Silas are traveling through some unpronounceable places. But when, as was Paul's custom, he went to the synagogue service. It was Paul's custom. There's a rhythm to their lives that made gathering a priority. You know, we all make many choices in life, don't we? Getting up is a choice. Praise is a choice. Gathering is a choice. In Psalm 42, verse 4, David expresses his thirsting for God and also for the gathering. He says this. He says, my heart is breaking as I remember how it used to be. I walked among crowds of worshippers, leading a great procession to the house of God, singing for joy and giving thanks amid the sound of a great celebration. There's a man after God's own heart, longing for God and longing for the gathering of his people. John mentioned last week, it's so easy for us, isn't it, to take our freedoms for granted. Countries today, even now, where there is a punishment on people who gather in Jesus' name. And believers gather in secret, risking punishment. Believers walk in some countries for days to attend a meeting. Sobering, isn't it? We can so easily take for granted the ease with which we can gather here in this place. I remember being struck, I had an uncle who took uh, me and my cousins out in a boat one day from the village in Devon where I lived. And we went out to just past, if you like, the national water boundary. I don't know how far it was. It wasn't that far. And just outside there, there was this huge rock about the size of this stage. And at low tide, it was exposed. And he said to us, this was the rock 
where the Protestants used to gather when it was illegal for them to meet in the UK. It was outside the UK. Can you imagine getting to church like that? <laughs> We've got it easy. I wonder, what would I risk or what would I suffer for the sake of gathering together? What about you? Does your Sunday morning impact your Saturday night? Does it impact what you do? Does it impact your bedtime? Does it impact your Sunday morning get-up time? Because gathering together is not just a good idea, it's a God idea. Ephesians tells us that Christ loved the church and he gave up his life for her. There is, it's not just an individual salvation, there's a corporateness to our salvation. Jesus loves the church. In the letter to the Hebrews, the writer who's writing to people who are under pressure says this to them. This is not the time to pull away and neglect meeting together, as some have formed the habit of doing, because we need each other. In fact, we should come together even more frequently and eager to encourage and urge each other onward as we anticipate that day dawning. Under pressure? Under pressure to fit gathering in? Actually, no. Gathering is what you need when you're under pressure. We should be meeting perhaps more rather than less. Is the church going to die out like the high street is? Because the internet is going to take over? I don't believe so. Why don't I believe so? Because this, Jesus said, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He loves his church. You know, we all have our moments. We can be grumpy, can't we? We can take church for granted sometimes. But remember this, Jesus loves his church. Imperfect as we are, warts and all, he loves his church. Should give us pause for thought. You know, in March, Hope Church, we've been talking about it already this morning, is going multi-site. We're moving to two Sunday gatherings. And we will still gather as one church every now and then. We will still do things together. We will pray together. We will meet together in other ways. We will still be one church just with two Sunday venues. We are the church, and Jesus loves the church. I've never forgotten being uh, told, talked to about being involved in a meeting and uh, being told the number one thing about being involved in a meeting. Do you know what it is? Be there. Be there. I know it's not rocket science, but it makes a difference. But it's not just about attendance. It's not just about turning up and ticking the box. It's actually about something else. Because the church is a community, not a club. In fact, the Bible doesn't recognize a club. We are a community, brothers and sisters. It's about sharing our lives together, not just turning up like the cinema or the theater. This is about something else. It's about family. Ephesians describes us We are not foreigners or guests, but rather we're the children of the city of the Holy Ones with all the rights as family members of the household of God. What a wonderful thing. Did you know that this morning? If you put your trust in Jesus, you're a family member with all the rights that go with it. 
And in 1 Timothy, sorry, in 2 Timothy, it says the church of the living God is his very household. See the link? We are, this is God's family, God's household. We are his children. Now, I don't know about you, in our family, FaceTime and WhatsApp and Skype and Instagram and Messenger, they all help us stay in touch with our scattered family. We do use them. They're a blessing. But it's not the same thing as getting together, is it? We love to get together. Families get together. Even difficult families get together. And that's why we... As a church, as a family, we provide different opportunities for people to share their lives. We, we're here every Sunday. We're here. We have communities, small groups. We serve together. We pray together. We go on adventures like West Point together. We do things together. That's part of our being family. And I want to encourage you this morning, if you don't feel part of this family... <laughs> Maybe it's because you need to get stuck in. Maybe you need to look for a small group that you can share life with in a more intimate way than we can here this morning. Go to the Connect Point and ask. Our goal is that whoever comes into this part of the family of God will find somewhere where they feel at home among us. That's my heart. That's my heart with our groups. That's what I want because we are a family. When we gather We gather with brothers and sisters who are different from us. They have different experiences of God. They connect with him in different ways. It exposes us to people who have different views. And we celebrate diversity. We celebrate the diversity that is church. There is nothing on earth like the church of Jesus Christ. Nothing. Nothing. And I know that's more of a challenge for some of us than others. I know some of us are built that we, are, we kind of prefer smaller gatherings or gatherings of one. It's true. <laughs> that's just how some of us are wired. I want to say to you, that's okay. That's the way God made you. But you need to step out of your comfort zone. Because being part of something bigger is being part of family. I want to commend, I'm not going to name him, there's a young man here who's very much wired that way, who I've got to know. And he came and he said, I want to join the welcome team because I want to step out of my comfort zone and I want to embrace the broader family. What a great attitude. What a great attitude. Step out of your comfort zone. Maybe you're one of the people at the other end. You're at everything, on every rotor. You know, maybe your challenge and your comfort zone that you need to step out of is to actually spend some time on your own. Maybe spend some time on your own with God. Don't fill your life up. We need to be whole people. But whatever our comfort zone is, if we duck church, we miss out on one of God's key means of discipling us. You know that. We are discipled by being church together. Having it right in your face that God loves people that I may not like, it's good for me. It's true. Don't look so shocked. I like you all. I mean, be honest, but 
Do you know what I'm saying? It, we need to come and understand that God's heart is so big. It's bigger than mine, thank God. And God loves all people. Having it put in front of me that God loves people that don't think the way I do is good for me. That's what family's like. Seeing that God moves through the lives of people I know, do you know what? Their lives aren't 100% right. Shocking. I mean, he can move through me, and I know my life's not 100% right, but somebody else? It stirs us to understand something more of the love of God and his kindness and acceptance of us. It gives us an opportunity to reach out to others, to the, stra- <coughs> excuse me, to the stranger, to people we don't know. I love this phrase. Look around the church. Have a look around now. Go on, you can do that. Just have a look around. Have a look up there. There's some funny people up there too. We are God's family. We are blood relations. You know that? It's the blood of Jesus that makes us relations. That's what we share. That's our common origin. And you can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. So we're stuck with each other, and you're stuck with me. That's the way God made it. Gives you an incentive to pray for me, doesn't it, really? And what about our attitude when we do gather together? Sorry, I just go on this. So let's remember, church is a community, not a club. It's a family gathering here this morning. But our attitude when we come together is really, really important. Steve mentioned this, I think, when he opened the series. It's about encounter, not entertainment. We live in an entertainment-focused world. If you don't know that, maybe you haven't got a telly. But if you have, you'll know it's true. But we're not here this morning for the Jesus X factor or Winchester's Got Talent or Strictly Spiritual. (laughs) This is something we're all a part of, but we can easily turn up as if we were on the judges' panel. A thought has just come into mind as to who would be who on the judges' panel. I'm putting it away. You can do that one later on. (laughs) You know, if I'm honest, it's a particular danger for leaders. We can get into analysis. You know, what was the meeting like? Well, and we get into analysis rather than encounter. It's a real danger, I'll be honest. Because in a sense, we are called to that, but not over and above meeting with God. And maybe we can all get into that same place. David, again, man after God's own heart, in the Psalms, talked about the power of coming into the place of worship. In Psalm 73, he says this, So I tried to understand why the wicked prosper. What a difficult task that is. Then I went into your sanctuary, and I finally understood When we encounter the living God, it changes our perspective. And we need to come with encounter at the forefront of our minds. We've come to encounter. What is your approach this morning? What is your expectation as you came here this morning? Have you come to be entertained? Well, I'm sorry. 
if you've come to encounter God, you won't be disappointed. Here's a good test, I think, of my attitude, and maybe it will be a test of yours, is when you talk about a meeting, as you go home, as you sit over lunch, what are you talking about? How do you judge what was a good meeting? Was it that, well, they sang all my favorite songs this morning, cracking meeting. I thought the band was on it. Marks out of 10. Preacher, fantastic. (laughs) Or not. Now, don't misunderstand me. There is a place. We are not blind to see. We don't do everything perfectly. We could do, I could preach better. I want to preach better. We can do things better. It's not that we don't ever think about those things. But I want to ask you, what's what's at the forefront of your mind after a meeting? Is it that you met with the living God? Is it that God spoke to you? That you experienced his presence in your life? That you experienced his touch on your life? That he challenged and changed us? Is it that you saw others responding? You rejoice as people responded to God. How do we assess a meeting? It tells us a lot about what's in our hearts, I think. It's a real challenge. And speaking of others, many members, not just me. I don't know about you, but uh, when you go on lots of uh, 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 websites, that's the word I'm looking for, you know, and if you're signing up, if you're a customer or something, there's always these days a thing, it's, it's my southern water or my electricity or my this, my that, isn't there? And when you go on that, you can kind of tick on everything so that your experience is exactly what you want it to be. Well, I hope you feel that this is your church. We'd love it if you do. And I want you to. But I've got to tell you, church doesn't work like that. You can't have my church. It's Jesus' church for a start off. And I've got to tell you, there's lots of others of us here. God treats us as a family together. Sharing our lives, using our gifts and abilities to serve one another and our broken world, that's how we find fulfillment. Not in getting everything just the way we want it. It's putting aside the way we want it and serving like Jesus. Serving like Jesus, as Malcolm Kays encouraged us to do, really. And it's recognizing this. This is to the church. You are the body of the anointed one, the Jesus, the body of Christ. And each of you is unique and vital part of it. Did you know that? You are. You're a unique and vital part of this overall expression of the body of Jesus. We need to recognize the body. That's why it's not just my stuff. We need to recognize one another, the gifts we have, the gifts we are, who we are. We need to honor the body of Jesus. It's an amazing thing to be part of the body. And finally, sorry, do you recognize the body is my question. And finally, we gather to worship, not to watch. We gather to worship, not to watch. The gathered church here is a bring and share, not a TV dinner for one. 
It's a bring and share. Not I'm sat here with my little, you know. This is a communal thing. So the question is not how good will the band be? How good will the preacher be? The question is what can I bring today? What can I bring today? Now John is going to be speaking on this in a few weeks' time about not being a spectator sport. So I don't want to steal his thunder, but I do just want to say this. It's so easy, isn't it, to fall into, I think, one of two things, and I've battled with this. Self-consciousness. Ooh, that's embarrassing. James mentioned it this morning, didn't he? Ooh, I don't think I want to do that. That's embarrassing. And uh, an awareness, an over-awareness of others. What is he doing? How weird is that? (laughs) And you know, I've been there. I remember the first time I came across people raising their hands. This is going to be funny for some of you because church wasn't always like this. You youngsters need to know that. And I remember seeing people raise their hands and I'm I'm in the other zone watching them. How weird is that? Never seen anybody do that before. Then I looked in the Bible, drat, it's all over it. (laughs) Can't get on my Bible high horse about that one. And then I got to, well, if it's there, perhaps I I should do it. And then I'm into the embarrassment zone. Everybody be looking at me. Uh, can, Can I do this? You know, that is a... It sounds funny and it sounds trivial. That is a real battle of worship. That is a real battle as to will I give myself to worship. And I've got to tell you, I'm quite a lot older than that now. And I don't have any trouble in lifting my hands. But I still have my battles about am I going to be embarrassed about my response to God? Or am I going to be focused on what everybody else is doing? You see... I guess the only, the only people, let me just say this, the only people that you should be conscious of is if you're a parent, you should be conscious of your kids because you're the one that's going to teach them how to worship. But the rest of us should be focused on God. And if that's a battle, let me tell you, it's worth fighting. It's worth fighting because he is worth it. He is worth it. And as we focus our attention on God, things happen. They really do. We are changed. Look at this from 2 Corinthians. We can all, all, everybody here, draw close to him with the veil removed from our faces. And with no veil, we all become like mirrors who brightly reflect the glory of the Lord Jesus. That's a description of worship. We are being transfigured, transformed, changed into His very image as we move from one brighter level of glory to another. And this glorious transformation comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. When we worship, my brothers and sisters, we are changed. That's why we, quote, waste our time And we are happy and glad to waste our time in worship of our God. Because as we worship, we are changed more and more into his likeness. 
It's a beautiful thing. It so comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. As we worship, miracles can happen. They really can. They have. But there is more. We want to reach for more, where the presence of God is so heavy upon us that miracles are happening. People encounter God and repent. People encounter God and come to faith. People are healed. People's lives are transformed. That's what it's talking about as we come and our, our laser focus is on God. There is more. Where's your focus this morning? So let me conclude. I'm just going to finish. If the band could come back up now, please. uh, And then I'm going to hand back to Amy to lead us as we close. There is a lot more to our gathering than just a random get-together of people who can't think of anything better to do on a Sunday morning. There is. My brothers and sisters, we are called by God to gather to him as a family. We gather to him because for no other reason than he is worth it. He is worthy. Have you noticed that's what a lot of angels sing? He's worthy. He's worthy. If there was no other benefit at all, it would be enough. And we are called to expect his presence to be among us. His presence to be among us, as he has been this morning, as he will be next week, because God wants to encounter his people when they gather. And I want to stir your faith for that. So I want to encourage you this morning. I hope I have been able to encourage you. There is more. And, you know, there may be things that we need to adjust in our thinking, that we need to repent of in our attitudes, that we need to change in the way we approach things in order that we can press in to the more that God has for us. Let's allow the Holy Spirit... That's it. Let's allow the... How about that? That's our kitchen timer, in case you know it. And how about that for being on time? Hey? <laughs> Let's allow the Holy Spirit to just touch our hearts this morning. However many times we've gathered, and I've been to thousands of meetings, I've got to tell you there's more. Because he's worth it. Because we expect to encounter him. Because he promises his presence. And because there's always...